this is Dr. Michael Hogue, and you've tuned into my new podcast, Stroke Self-Help. This is episode number three. A marvelous body of knowledge, theories, and technical advancements have occurred since the turn of the century when Eric Kandel won the Nobel Prize. His life work was fundamental to the discovery of chemical processes that occur and change with short-term and long-term memory in all animals that have a nervous system. And in particular, his scientific proof that the brain is not a static, hardwired machine incapable of change, but instead a constantly adapting system that changes itself all the time. Numerous significant contributors have played a role in this growing body of accelerated understanding during the past two decades since this amazing discovery was officially documented and recognized, especially in consideration of the concomitant rapid technological advancements, particularly in relation to diagnostic imaging. As a side note, it should be recognized that principles of plasticity have been being explored by scientists since the 1970s. It would be impossible to give comprehensive recognition to each contributor, and no attempt here is made to that end. Exceptionally noteworthy colleagues who have contributed to this include Dr. Norman Dewage and Dr. Frederick Carrick. Interestingly enough, both are from Canada. Dr. Dewage's contribution to plasticity is immense and far-reaching. Dr. Dewage is a psychiatrist who is best known for his book, The Brain That Changes Itself. With over a million copies sold, Dr. Dewage has helped countless people to understand what is possible in restoring the brain to its healthy state. He has received many honors, including literary honors been featured on numerous video broadcasts, lectured at numerous well-known universities and prestigious organizations, and been featured by the best-known news networks. In addition to helping make brain plasticity popular, Dr. Dewage has been involved with the creation of devices used to treat the brain, is a vibrant contributor to the body of scientific research, has devised methods for overcoming serious brain abnormalities, and has compiled an impressive volume of case studies regarding people whose brains have been healed through principles of neuroplasticity. Dr. Carrick's contribution to the field of plasticity is considerable and substantial. Many decades ago, Dr. Carrick began training other practitioners using the latest research available at the time on techniques to restore brain function. Since the beginning of his career, he has trained thousands of medical practitioners, been awarded additional graduate diplomas from prestigious schools such as Harvard University, conducted his own breakthrough peer-reviewed scientific research with contributions to numerous noteworthy journals, founded a network of schools that train medical professionals throughout the world, and is a professor at a U.S. News top-ranked school. His most important contributions have included his advancements in recovery of comatose patients, his work on balance and gait, and his unique perspectives and techniques regarding brain function and methodology for recovery. 
it's clear to see why both of these individuals have impacted the world in a positive and immeasurable way. Both of these professionals are significant to me because Dr. Carrick was my professor almost two decades ago and because I have been following and learning from Dr. Dewage for about 15 years. Basic Principles At least five components of brain plasticity are important for stroke recovery. The NMDA receptor activation, physical exercise, psychological state, neurogenesis, and the brain's environment. NMDA receptor. The NMDA receptor is important for plasticity because this is responsible for actually building nerve connections. It's important that we understand something about this receptor so that we can use that knowledge to intentionally build connections in the brain. Closely connected to the NMDA receptor and also much more widely studied by researchers because of its direct implication to pharmaceuticals is the AMPA receptor, which fires every time a nerve sends its signal down its axon. In order to get illicit activation of the NMDA receptor, the AMPA receptor needs to be elicited at a high intensity, frequency, and duration. When this is achieved, it causes a neuron to build a new connection to its target at the rate of one millimeter per day. The amazing thing about plasticity is that after the nerve cell has formed new connections to its target, the changes are more or less permanent, with some exceptions. The reason it is necessary to get neurons properly connected to one another is that information happens in real time. It is therefore necessary for the brain to work in conjunction with all of its other parts, also in real time. Consider this excerpt. When we read, the meaning of a word is stored or mapped in one sector of the brain. The visual appearance of the letters is stored in another, and its sound in yet another. Each sector is bound together in a network, so that when we encounter the word, we can see it, hear it, and understand it. Neurons from each sector have to be activated at the same time, co-activated, for us to see, hear, and understand at once. That's the end of the quote. When certain parts of the brain become damaged, it's not possible for the damaged portions to respond to their environment in real time. This requires the brain to make decisions or to draw conclusions using incomplete or inaccurate information. Physical exercise. The brain contains numerous mappings of nearly every part of the body, termed somatotopic maps. These maps constitute a direct connection with the brain for movement of each muscle, sensation of each skin region, and in muscles and tendons, visual fields, and sensations of joint position. These are necessary for normal function as well as in the controlling of the position of each body part in space and in coordination from all other body parts. It's fantastic to consider 
that the brain needs to understand the tone of each muscle with all the necessary changes that must take place to achieve any desired goal that requires movement of the skeleton. This is done by constantly monitoring the tone of each muscle group. Incorrect muscle tone balance will injure the joint, creating precise motor plans and then executing and monitoring progress. This process is complex and fascinating. However, things don't always work correctly. People sometimes bite their tongues, trip on the sidewalk, and have difficulty buttoning a shirt, or they become unable to resist gravity. These symptoms could be caused by a variety of brain regions that work together, failures in position sense chain, or an external factor such as extreme fatigue or drugs. Position sense also involves pressure on joints, most importantly while standing in the ankles. The multitude of sensation information provided by the inner ears and information revealed by eyesight. When these systems produce contradictory information, the results can be devastating and even sickening. Exercise. In addition to the fact that exercise is inherently good for the brain, and heart and lungs and lymphatic system and kidneys and so forth. There are also chemical constituents of exercise important for brain plasticity, as documented by Rady, who further declared, and I quote, working out before school gives these kids a boost in reading ability and in the rest of their subjects. Physical activity sparks biological changes that encourage brain cells to bind to one another. For the brain to learn, these connections must be made. They reflex the brain's fundamental ability to adapt to challenges. That's the end of the quote. Please watch for the following podcast, Hormesis, Psychological States that Drive Brain Activation and the Brain's Environment. Well, that's it for now. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you soon.